Hello and welcome to the Rondo Podcast. I'm Nicola McCarthy talking all things football both on and off the pitch. Well, we've come to the end of another Premier League season, a time to look back, I suppose, and reflect on what's happened throughout the season. And one of the big things that teams assess at this time are injuries. So how many a team has had, what went well, what maybe didn't go so well, what can be worked on for next season, etc. So with all this in mind, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome injury data analyst Ben Dinnery to the Rondo podcast. Hello, Ben. Hi, Nicola. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm glad it's the end of the season. So I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, time to put the feet up a wee bit. I know you you uh, do a lot of work throughout the season and we'll, we'll go into that, so I'm sure you're glad to see it. So Ben, on that note then, just first of all, tell us just a bit about yourself, kind of what you do and how you ended up becoming an injury data analyst. Okay, um, background is, is sports therapy. Um, I was very much hands-on and worked around pitch side management probably around maybe 10, 12 years ago. During the course of that time, I, I almost fell out of love with the hands-on stuff and became more interested in the, the data, in the analytics, in the statistics associated with, with injuries, you know, return to play timelines, um, number of injuries, the, the clubs. Um, and, and that background, it was, it's very much steeped uh, at, at that point in, in fantasy football. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work that we've done was was it was created and and focused on you know serving that um, that need within the fantasy market uh, and over the years as as fantasy market has grown and as the data has become more popular and more people have become aware of the work that that we do um, you know that we've started sort of branch out in in lots of different areas now you know mm-hmm. working with the, with clubs direct. And we're working with uh, football associations, uh, backroom staff, insurance companies, law firms, um, you know, you name it. And the, it's it's such a it's got so many different facets to to how we use the data. Um, you know, no two days are the, are the same. I'm sure. And, you know, you've carved out a real niche, Ben. And so presumably uh, this is very valuable to the people that you're working with. I mean, data is king, really, especially now. So I imagine it is something clubs and players and medical teams uh, are very interested in. Yeah, very much so. I mean, um, you know, internally within clubs, data is collected in, in, in various forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a few years back, you know, the the, the Football Association and the, and the Premier League, you know, did um, collate a lot of injury data, but whatever you know was produced in terms of the documentation, a lot of that stuff was anonymised. So clubs didn't really know where they sat in the grand scheme of things and, and, and what really was happening. And then that, that just stopped altogether. And I know that the Premier League and the, and the Football Association are, are looking to address that within the very near future. But for now, um, the data that we collect, is, is we're almost seen as a bit of a go-to um, right. You know, we're working with the Espatar Clinic out in Qatar, who are, you know, world renowned within their field. Mm-hmm. And and we're able to sort of supply data to aid medical research, just which I'm not saying it, it didn't happen in the past, but it was certainly very difficult and, it, and quite sort of a laborious task to try and sort of pull all of these, um, you know, data streams from from wherever to try and uh, you know go about these research papers so that's been really good for us it's been a, a superb learning curve um, and and we're you know we're involved in some cutting edge stuff out there so hopefully maybe within the next 
you know, six to 12 to 18 months, we'll start to see some medical research produced on the, on the back of our data, which, you know, uh, will be a, a massive sort of feather in our cap. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, I follow you on social media, Ben, and I see the volume of the work that you do and the consistency of your work. I mean, it is all consuming, like you say. It is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a question I often get asked. Um, you know, the job is seven days a week and 365 days a year. There's, there's yeah. no getting away from that. Um, you know, and, and even if you want to consider the latest injury to, you know, to Ruben Loftus-Cheek, you know, people mm-hmm. assume that once that final ball's kicked at the, at the end of a Premier League season, that's it. You, you go away and you put your feet up. But now we have end of season tours. We have international tournaments, friendlies. Um, you know, the Europa League qualification groups will, pro- I think, start in early July, which means that, you know, we also monitor players who are in training. You know, so come June, yeah, players are going to be back on the training pitches and, and and working towards getting ready for the for the new season. So it's something, it's definitely a labour of love. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you do a fantastic job. But let, let's touch on that Ruben Loftus-Cheek um, issue since it just happened, that friendly that they played um, in America. And he picked up the injury, which means he could potentially miss the, the Europa League final. Um, there's been so much about it. Fans maybe not happy, whatever. What's your take on it, Ben? I, I didn't actually watch the incident live. Um, you know, it happened through the night. And um, from what I gather, it, it was just one of those unfortunate incidents. Um, you know, he, he stood, got caught in the turf. And um, uh, once we get a high profile injury like this, a, a lot of questions get fired my way. You know, is it is it load and training? You know, was it fatigue? Um, how can it happen? He's such a young player. It's, you, you know, when you consider what happened to Hudson Adai, you know, just over maybe six or seven weeks prior to that, mm-hmm. you know, and these are highly, it's highly unusual, um, you know, if we look back at the data from maybe the last 10 years of, of Premier League, um, I think only one instance have we had a club that's that suffered two um, Achilles tendon ruptured within the same season. And, you know, nobody is young is that they tend uh, on the database up to this point, you know, the average age I think was, was in around sort of maybe 25, 26. Right. So it, it's, you know, it's, it is unusual and it's, it's just unfortunate. It, it's nothing yeah. you can, you know, pin down and, 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 and nail it to one uh, specific thing. It's ideally, you know, Chelsea wouldn't have, he wanted to go out there and and and, and play the part of that friendly. Uh, it was obviously pre-arranged prior to yeah, uh, getting yeah. to the to the Europa final, and I, I suspect that there must have been some kind of you know contractual agreement to play a, a pretty strong you know first team squad and, and and give everybody minutes out there. Otherwise, yeah. you know, Mauricio sorry would have would have preferred to maybe go with a few more development players and keep those, especially Loftus-Cheek, who's been, you know, he's, he's got his ongoing, you know, persistent back problems and, and, and so on. You know, you, you really want to be sort of treating those players and, and, and wrapping them in cotton wool ahead of that game. And unfortunately, um, you know, he suffered that setback, which is, which is going to keep him out for a good few months now. Mm. And you think, I mean, finishing the Premier League and then even the travel, Ben, over across to the States, you know, playing the game almost straight away. Would all of that, you know, would that affect or make players more susceptible or, as you say, is it just bad luck? It depends on, on 
you walk crossing time zones and, and, and fatigue may be a factor. But, you know, long gone are the, are the days where you maybe, or if there were even any days where players would, you know, sit back in economy class. You know, these players are essentially being first in, in business and are, are able to recline and sleep and rest adequately. You know, they're not in exactly, you know, cramped conditions. And, and, and for maybe, you know, if we focus on Loftus-Cheek again, he hasn't played a lot of minutes this season. He hasn't started a lot of Premier League games. That's um, true. You know, so fatigue, you know, it, it, it isn't like he's, he's suffered almost yeah. burnout because of yeah. the amount of minutes that he has played. Um, like I say, it, it's just one of those things. There's questions about the pitch out there and, and when he gets his studs caught. And, you know, that was it. He's, if you don't want to be injured, you know, you don't play football. That's yeah. just one of yeah. the, you know. <laughs> yeah, good advice. <laughs> yeah, that's what, you know, what people forget. This is a, this yeah. is a contact sport. It's a physical you know, game. You, yeah. It is, yes. Yeah. No, I played myself during the week and actually... Both my knees got <laughs> both yeah. my knees got a knocking. So yeah, no, but you're right. I mean, these things are going to happen. But uh, as we said, that you know, spotlight seems to be on injuries a lot more than maybe it used to be. And I imagine that the data and the information available kind of helps that. Um, in terms of teams that have suffered, I mean, we've seen a few throughout the season. Obviously, we've just mentioned Chelsea, but Manchester United had a real spell, didn't they, Ben? Of wasn't there a time when Marcus Rashford couldn't come off in, in one of their games because they did actually used all their subs due to I think it was hamstrings. They seemed to go through. I think there were nine or ten players injured at one point. Um, what, what what do you think um, that was down to? Um, you know, you have a new manager that, that comes into a club, and um, there's a new philosophy. There's a, there's a new style of play. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about, uh, you know, especially with, with, with Oli, he wants this high intensity, high press. And uh, a lot of people always uh, consider maybe the, the distance covered by players right. during the game. And, and that probably hasn't changed a great deal maybe over the last five to six years. However, what has changed is, is the number of high intensity sprints. And and we all know that you know the Premier League. It's it's uh, it's it's eyes out football. It's a hundred miles an hour. You know the physicality of the league. Um, and now players are expected to maybe you know not only increase the number of high intensity sprints over over longer distances, but they may um, be expected to do that on on you know shortened recovery or or even no recovery at all. And that in itself, you know, one of the biggest risk factors for for particularly. Um, soft tissue problems and muscular strains is fatigue. So fatigue-related issues, you know, around the hamstrings. When you're looking at it, you know, explosive movements, um, quick changes in directions, um, which you know the likes of the your Rashfords and your your Lukaku's and your your Sanchez's of this world, you know, they're all want to be, you know, get that yard, that that mm. yard in the box. Um, mm-hmm. You know, then these muscular problems, they're always. Protect, you know, they're always going to be susceptible to those. Yeah, yeah. Hamstrings are most common, are they? Yes. Uh, in terms of muscular injuries, uh, we've had very little fluctuation uh, in terms of the overall number of injuries. And, and they account for around about maybe 40 to 41% of all muscular injuries are specific to the hamstring alone. Uh, and why hamstrings, do you think? Why do you think they're the, the most common, the most popular? Yeah, so again, you're looking at just... Um, you're looking at the nature of those players who are suffering those those types of injuries. You right. know, and it's quite often called, you know, the sprinter's injury. So you may be looking, uh, you know, the data will support this. 
um, you know, attackers, strikers, um, wingers, maybe, um, you know, wing backs. Uh, it's not often do you see maybe, um, you know, big centre halves suffering mm-hmm. from a lot of hamstring problems. And again, this just comes down to it's it's quick and it's it's high explosive, high intensity movements over repeated, you know, short periods of time. You know, mm-hmm. players up and down the pitch, um, and it's. Yeah, so that's why we tend to see, you know, a lot of hamstring injuries around that just because of of the very nature of the game. Yeah, in terms of recurring injuries, Ben, is some of it down to kind of how players are just made up, simply their genetics, or uh, how how much do you think that features, um, you know, if someone just has a weakness, really? Um, yeah, genetics certainly plays a part in that. Um, but there are also, the, you know, there are a number of influence and factors these days. Um, you know, one of the first things people say, if, if a team or, or an individual has a has a bad injury record, you know, the first thing they do is, you know, they want to throw mud at the, at the medical team. If, it, you know, if um, Manchester United have a high number of, of injuries, the medical team are rubbish. Well, you know that that's not the case, and and, and similarly, if a, if a team has a good injury record, um, for example, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers this season, you know, mm-hmm. then the medical team is 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 great. You know, it, it's very much a collect. It's it's a collective approach. You know, it's it's about yes, what um, the medical team are doing, but it also comes down to the coach, what's happening on the, on. Um, the training pitches, and also down to the individuals themselves. You know, while they're at the club and, and while they're training, and you know, it's what they're doing away to look after themselves away from that. And, and similarly, uh, a coach can do whatever you know needs to be done uh, to get the players right, and physios can prepare players. But you know, we've seen instances in the past where where maybe managers have went against medical advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, people tend to take the player as well out of this equation. You know, yeah. most um, return to play decisions are, are player led, and by that, you know, so when you know from the moment a, a player's injured, the first thing they want to do, you know, the clock is ticking, get back on that pitch. You know, very rarely is kind of player hand and heart say it right. I'm one hundred percent ready to go on the pitch when I return. It's about, you know, weighing up the, you know, the pros and the cons and, and making an, an informed decision. You know, you want to return to baseline assessments, you know, in your rehab, in your recovery to say, right, well, actually, I'm OK to go back on that pitch. But just because you've maybe uh, attained those levels or even surpassed, there's no guarantees that, you know, within minutes of stepping on the pitch, you may not suffer a, a recurrence. Um, and there's also, you know, or suggestion that, um, you know, other factors come into play just because, you know, scans and tests and assessments and statistics and come back and say, right, this player is fine to go back on the pitch. If the player, you know, there are examples where players go, you know what, just don't feel right. Yeah. There's just something there. Um, and, and so there's, there's a lot of different dynamics going on when, when a, um, a return to play decision uh, is being made. Absolutely. Can I ask you about the head injuries debate, Ben? Obviously, we had the Jan Vertonghen incident yeah. um, against Ajax, and uh, that raised the whole debate again. Um, what, what's your opinion on it? Um, it? This is a very, very difficult one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, you know, that incident. And, and at the time, most people, the majority of people are, are watching from afar, whether it's from the stands or, or whether it's from, um, you know, through the television screens. And for the first time, it may be that they, you know, they've never seen a head injury or an incident like that before. And, and instantly you assume the worst. And, and looking at the Jan Vertonghen incident, you know, it didn't look good. And it, it, it looked, you could call into question, you know, the, the medical staff at that point. Um, you could maybe call them irresponsible. You know, there was a, he almost fainted at one point. He had to be held up. And, and the obvious call from, from everybody, apart from that medical team at the time, was to, you know, if in doubt, take them out, pull them away <laughs> from that. Mm-hmm. However, you know, what I would say, particularly in, in their defence, um, you know, the, there is protocol, there is an assessment that they can put in place. So, mm-hmm. you know, that they may do some short term and long term memory tests. They may even look to, to do some balancing work with the player. You know, if they come through that, fine, you know, then, then great that there's no obvious symptoms at that point. But that's not to say that those, you know, the effects of concussion can't come in at, at any stage. Um, I think the, I think what the reality is, guidelines would probably, you know, state that players will need around 10 minutes of a, of a full assessment to determine, well, actually, has this player got concussion, you know, suffered a concussion or not? Um, and for me, there definitely needs to be a law change within football, Um the way forward, or a logical solution, maybe to bring in a, a temporary uh, substitution mm-hmm. where, where we have okay. the player come mm-hmm. on and then the player goes away, they're assessed independently mm-hmm. by a doctor and they're given that that 10 minute window to go through the you know a full examination and, and they can then decide on a return to play because it's not necessarily the, the first concussion that's the issue. It's if a player's allowed to return to play and if they suffered a, a second knock that's when you can have you know that's some serious consequences to that and mm-hmm. that's the one you, you really need to be careful of um so in, in terms of the of, of the law and, and the rules there definitely needs to be a, a tightening up of that because at the minute there just seems to be too many gray areas mm-hmm. um you know and thankfully uh, you know, Jan Vertonghen, it, it was proved that, that he didn't. But uh, I call, you know, the, the Fabian Shaw, which just happened weeks before that, um, the Newcastle defender who was on national team duty with, yeah. with Switzerland, you know, he was he was actually unconscious mm-hmm. um, for a number of seconds and, and allowed to continue. And I just wonder, you know, what what are the ramifications for allowing the yep. player because once there's been impairment as a as a medical practitioner you assume that that player can no longer make a rational decision yes. therefore you know you decide what happens from that point and you know to allow the player to continue i mean that's there's no place for it in that game we're just being lucky up until this point you just hope mm. that it that it doesn't take for something serious to happen yeah, for yeah. then authorities to go. Oh, actually, yeah, we we better change something now. It, it yeah. needs to happen before. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I'm sure, as you say, we we'll see changes. I imagine. Um, you know, in that area. Ben, something I'm interested to ask you about and get your thoughts on is the use of technology in helping 
aid recovery or rehabilitation from injury. Um, I did a podcast with a company who, who used VR in this area. Do you think it's something we'll see more of as tech continues to advance? Um, or what's your take on it? Yeah, I think there's there's certainly a place for 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 technology um, within sport. Um, it, it it's something which I, I firmly believe needs to be you know used in conjunction with that you kind of beat eyes on. It's it's definitely something to to supplement the process. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before with regards to players maybe returning to play and looking at baseline levels, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's when technology can, can come into place. Um, I've I've spoke with with coaches and, and staff before where they've actually been you know monitoring training loads for specific players you know uh, in terms of number of high intensity sprints and distance covered and, and once you reach that that almost that red zone that area where you can be potentially become more susceptible um, to picking up an injury you know then they can sort of you know pluck the players from that or if if players are maybe at increased risk of injury you know the technology will say right well you know we need to to ease back on this player we need to to tailor their training more around them um if we look at the you know the manchester cities the the liverpools of you know those teams who are all involved in european competitions players going away on international duties you know they're playing maybe 60 possibly 70 games a season traveling mm so many thousands of males um, yep. around the world um, and, and and you need to protect these these are these players are, are commodities these days you know they're, they're uh, attracting huge sums of money clubs are investing massive amounts of cash um, and I think that the technologies uh, you know a brilliant way of, of, of supplementing what's going on day to day within the clubs do you work in the women's game at all ben it's not something i've touched upon up to this point nicola mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I, I am sort of thinking about the women's world cup possibly mm-hmm. um but that that will be driven by um, the family ah uh, yeah can, and how much <laughs> i can actually get away with um, understand but, but it is something which it, it is on the radar yes um, and it is something that i've I would love to get involved in. And so, yeah, we'll see how, if we can maybe, you know, if not this summer, maybe for um, the new season mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe somewhere over the next six to 12 months, hopefully. Cool. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see just maybe the differences in uh, in trends or, or similarities. But yes, listen, we'll catch up on that. We'll catch up on that. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of at this part of the season now, Ben, as you say, we've come to the end of the season, looking forward to next season. You know, we touched on it at the very beginning, but what will teams be doing now, presumably looking back, reflecting, planning for next season? Yeah, definitely. I think you get the, um, you know, the end of season friendlies out of the way and then, you know, the players can almost down tools and, and switch off and enjoy a little bit of sun and a little bit of downtime. You know, they will it'll, it'll not just be a, a case of, again, you know, you could maybe look back 10, 15, 20 years ago and it was a case of, right, you know, we're off to Marbella and, you know, we're on the lash. And yeah. If, yeah. if we consider the likes of maybe uh, Ralph Hasselhutton down at Southampton, you know, he's very much of the mind. Um, when you come back for pre-season you need to be this fit because mm-hmm. what I don't want to do is I, I don't want to be running into the ground when really I want to be doing, you know, talking tactics, talking setups, yeah. talking formation. So you go away, and, you know, maintain that level of fitness 
you can come in and, and yes, we will build upon that, but we're going to use that maybe four to six weeks to really um, sharpen our, you know, our tactical nous in terms of getting ready for that opening game. Um, so, it, it, you know, it comes down to, again, the individual as well. There'll be some players who are involved in, um, I think it's the Copa Americas and the Cod Fed Cups. Yep. Um, so, you know, the Nations North American League and, player. Yep. Yeah, um, and, and obviously we've still got a, a couple of European uh, finals mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. towards the end of this month to, to come in. Um, yep. But it, it, it is important as well that, that players do get the opportunity, not just physically in terms of, of fatigue, but you know um, psychologically, yep. just to be able to switch off and, and, and get away, um, refresh the batteries um, and, and be ready for, for pre-season because pre-season, you know, that is the cornerstone of, of every player. You know, the, the medical research will tell you that, you know, players that don't undertake a full preseason program are certainly at an increased uh, risk of injury incident. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's important that they get that block of training that can carry them, you know, for the next maybe six, seven, eight, nine months. And Ben, will the will the management teams um be looking back in terms of say like data you provide and things like that? And maybe the likes of Manchester United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's team, be looking at that spell and thinking, right, what went wrong there, and how can we avoid that happening again next season? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they look to be pinpointing. You know, you know, conversations will be had internally, so with the backroom staff and clubs will, and backroom staff will have a almost a a goal in mind in terms of squad availability for players, you know, mm-hmm. whether that be 60, 70 or 80%. And, and if things dip below that, then, you know, they want to know why. And that's where the sort of the tech will be able to support mm-hmm. uh, maybe any decisions, any changes in, in training routines. And they look to ways of maybe to negate those issues mm-hmm. for the future season. I mean, that's not a problem for, for one for Hampton Wanderers. Uh, I see Because again, this time of year, you know, managers will come out and, and, and say certain things. And, and Nuno Espirito Santo will come out and, you know, he said, we've had a great season. I've, I've got to uh, pay tribute to, uh, to the backroom staff. We're great. We've had 99% uh, availability for the squad. Yeah, it's the unbelievable. They're the uh, best, were they, Ben? They're the top uh, of the best performing well, by, a, by a bit, were they? Well, actually, I mean, it wasn't quite 99%. It was 982 ah, <laughs> Get it right, you know. Get yeah, it right. In, uh, <laughs> in, in, in all of the years that I've been collecting data, I've never had uh, any uh, club come anywhere near that figure. And, and really? Yeah, it's, it is... I mean, it's it's astonishing, really. What about Leicester in that title-winning year? Were they were they good? They were good, uh, right. you know, off the top of my head. Um, you know, a good if you could have eighty percent yeah. and above, you know, that's really really good. Right. Um, uh, and Leicester were, but one thing about that Leicester side, which which you know sticks in my mind at this point, they went into European competition, obviously the following season, um, and the number of of injury you know time loss injuries that they suffered increased massively yeah. uh, two, two or threefold even um so that's something which I, i'll be following if wolves play in europe uh, that i'll be following quite closely yeah. because and it's it's simple sort of mathematics that the more um minutes that you play the increased injury risk you have for, for players so mm. um, and if you're going into the Europa League qualification rounds, which means we seen with Burnley last season, and, and it probably wasn't until they exited 
the Europa League and, and maybe it's got to around you know the turn of the year that that the league form started to improve uh, mm-hmm. because they were you know they were hampered throughout those early months with injuries and not not only that traveling and playing on a Thursday night mm-hmm. and then sometimes playing maybe first kickoff on a on a Sunday morning you know if you haven't got a big enough squad to be able to cope with the demands of that um, yes. it's going to be difficult you know we we've seen Arsenal and, and Chelsea have, have managed to do that quite well but mm-hmm. when you look at their playing staff in terms of what they have available, you know, Unai Emery and, and Mauricio Sarri can comfortably make seven, eight, nine changes and, you know, their second 11 would, would probably do quite well in the Premier League, whereas Burnley, you know, just didn't have that strength and depth available to them. Yes, yes, and it affects teams massively, doesn't it? It really, really does. And I imagine that going forward, squad sizes are just going to increase in both size and quality uh, in order to keep up with with the rate of fixtures and um, the, the, the travel and everything that you mentioned. Ben, I'm going to finish off with um, where, where it all started for you and um, where I kind of first uh, became aware of you, and that is the fantasy football world. Um, uh-huh. I know you are worth your weight in gold with the information you provide for fantasy football managers and uh how did you do this season did you did you play yourself uh, i did play myself um yeah. i had a shocker by the way i had an absolute shocker so not gonna even go well, there <laughs> well i'm i'm coming with me um me best finish ever i mean it's not great I, oh really I, right brilliant well, I, I, okay I, came in, I think it was 32 33 000, so wow I, I was quite pleased with that i, I did you know i I did. I made one or two mistakes along the way. Um, yes. I, yeah, I tend to, you know, uh, I'm very um, loyal. I would say to maybe yeah. certain players, uh, which, yeah. which doesn't of a certain really team, perhaps. Itself, <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't lend itself very well. The fact that you've got to be fairly ruthless. Um, you do. You, know, follow you do. Follow the form. Um, but, yes. You know, yes. Overall, I, I won a couple of mini leagues. Which uh, so financially that was uh, quite rewarding. Uh, and, and your it, bragging and it, rights, your bragging yes, rights are in place. Very much the bragging <laughs> rights. Uh, so yes, I'm um, I'm very pleased with how that panned out. And the fantasy community, I mean, I was actually at the um, Fantasy Football Awards there last week. And the fantasy community, it's massive, isn't it? Like it's just it, it's a world in itself. It's brilliant. It's it, absolutely huge. Um, in terms of engagement, just through um, my Twitter feed alone, uh, we're engaging with, you know, in, in the region of maybe 15 to 20 million people over every 20-day period. So, it, it, I mean, it's, yeah, it's absolutely massive. Um, you know, I dare not leave me, you know, the computer screen for, for more than 24 hours because my timeline <laughs> yeah. just explodes. And, and when sure. we, um, and obviously... From from sort of mid July, uh, that's when things will really start to ramp up, uh, yep. And, yep. and you get that wave of enthusiasm. And I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if the official game in itself next season would top seven million in terms of, of managers alone. So yeah, uh, it's it's massive. <laughs> it's absolutely really, really massive. Good. I'm just hoping. I'm just hoping I, I can do a bit. I'll be calling on you this this coming season, Ben. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> be private uh, messages. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 purely luck. I think that's. Uh, I'm a, I'm a last minute people. You know, how do you I haven't really got a strategy? Give me you know 15, 20 minutes before the deadline. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 
Um Ben, just finally give me your your um your winners, Champions League and Europa League winners. Um oh, Champions League oh, oh, Tottenham. Tottenham. Yeah, okay. Um, Wasn't yeah, expecting that. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Um and I think Harry Kane from the bench. Okay. Maybe to get the winner two one. Roy the reverse uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'll chuck in shall we say? Yeah, I'll chuck him. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and with the Europa, uh, give me Chelsea. You know what? Yeah, I, give yeah. give sorry a bit of a break. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's me Chelsea too. That's it is. A, Yes. Excellent, excellent. Okay, Ben, listen, thank you so, so much for your time. That was absolutely brilliant. And no as problem, I say, Pleasure. You do fantastic work. And, uh, you know, I know the effort you put in and uh, the blood, sweat and tears that goes into it. And, uh, no, it's fantastic. So thank you so much for your time, Ben. Uh, yeah. Just finally, tell us where we can find you on social and your website. Give us all your, your details. Yep, so I'm available on Twitter and most days at Ben Dinnery. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're... Um, wanting to keep up to date with all of the latest injuries uh, in and around the Premier League, you can go to um, www.premierinjuries.com. Perfect. Ben, once again, thank you so much. Enjoy the summer. A bit of a break if you can. And uh, I look forward to catching up next season. Yes, yeah, same you, Nicola. Thank you very much. Cheers, Ben. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.